Stop. All right, welcome into Violence and its three droogs. The last episode, we're going out with a bang, talking Fight Club, American Psycho, and Taxi Driver. Three films that are obviously incredibly beloved, cult classics, um, discussed in class, um, debated in class. Um, three incredible films. We're going to kick off the episode as we did last time, discussing what we love about these films and why we felt like these were the perfect films to close out this podcast. Cheyenne, we're going to start off with you. Oh, gosh. No pressure. Um, honestly, we had just kind of briefly mentioned, like, casting. And I know at the time of the releases of these films, like, Robert De Niro was not as, like, prestigious of an actor as he is now. Like, we know Robert De Niro. Same with Christian Bale. But that is what gravitated me to want to rewatch them, obviously, obviously for the course, but like I wanted to rewatch them, you know, because I had seen American Psycho about 10 years ago, but I was excited to rewatch it because I absolutely love Christian Bale. And um, I was excited to watch Taxi Driver because um, I, it was Scorsese. I love Scorsese. And um, I knew nothing about it. But I, what I liked about it was the fact that it was just a mind fuck. <laughs> like you go back and you question your sanity. But I think one of the big takeaways that I took from it was that we see it repurposed in future films. You bring up Joker quite a bit, Brennan. And I had seen Joker before I'd seen Taxi Driver. And then I saw the similarities, even the repurposing of Robert De Niro in the film. But I guess the takeaway that I took from each of them is like how you treat people matters. <laughs> and... Um, yeah, I just, stylistically, they were all great. They were fun to watch. And I love that it go, It doesn't leave me with, like, this sense of security and a happy ending for each of them. Like, I leave questioning everything, which I feel like a good film should do. Happy endings are too simple. That's what I loved. Okay. So, um, I would say, now, at first, I, remember I wasn't too fond of Taxi Driver, um, the first viewing. Uh, but actually uh, watching it again and um, actually taking time to digest what the film uh, was trying to get at, uh, I really, really liked how, and this is how I felt the first time watching it, I felt very um, disconnected. And when I say disconnected, uh, when we go through the movie with uh, Bickle, uh, Robert De Niro's character, when I was watching this, like, dang, you know, he's just to himself, uh, he's kind of out the way of society, but... I guess it kind of bored me at first, but that's how good the writing is, is that going back and watching it the second time, I noticed like, dang, this is probably how he feels in the film. Mm -hmm. He feels left out. He mm -hmm. feels as if, you know, everything around him is just a moving world. And I think that's what I love about these films so much is that it kind of, it, it gets into the mind of people who seriously are just disconnected from the you know this the common world yeah and it just kind of it, it just shows that you know within these uh people's lives you know this is how they view the world mm -hmm. but to them it all doesn't mean nothing because yeah. at the end of the day it's just them going through life by themselves quote unquote but uh yeah that that's how what i would say i love about um just all of the films in general and just watching taxi driver again i got much more of an appreciation uh for the writing of the film yeah, I like how you bring that, like, it captures emotions really well. Hon yes. hon honestly, for me, um, I loved all three of these films. Um, the way that they make you look at society, look at yourself, look at so many societal issues as a whole. And honestly, for me, it's the way that each film utilizes the mirror, right? Ooh. Because we look at Taxi Driver, obviously some of the most impactful scenes have to do with the mirror. Travis Bickle's own view of himself being, you know, someone who's low on the totem pole socioeconomically, um, looking at through the lens of this is a guy that, you know, has the insomnia, he's, you know, he just gets hired as a tra taxi driver, he's, he's seeing things on the streets, obviously he himself is this um, pretty racist, sexist person, but we see him in these situations and we kind of see like, okay messed up dude in this scenario is going to snap and make sense. We look at American Psycho, completely opposite character, obsessed with himself, obsessed with the mere view, you know. He has no media literacy. Everything, every film, every track, everything that he's obsessed with, everything he's talking about, he makes it about himself and the meaning is mm -hmm. the exact opposite. 
Again, when he's having sex, he's staring in the mirror. He's obsessed with the with the image of himself, losing his mind. He's he's so obsessed with that. And then we look at Fight Club, right? You're probably thinking to yourself, well, what, 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 what mirror would be in Fight Club? Well, I see Tyler Durden as the mirror in Fight Club. Personally, that's how I connect these three films. Because obviously Fight Club, the, the ending's not very ambiguous. Um, it, its twist, I would say, is, is pretty telegraphed. Telegraphed in a genius way, but telegraphed in the sense that there is the big twist. Oh, Tyler Durden's not real. It's a fixture of his imagination. The other two films... The protagonist is crazy. The protagonist is losing their mind. And we, we end the film wondering, that's like, that's a mindfuck, like what actually happened. Mm-hmm. Fight Club's a, a mindfuck, but in a way, it, it departs from the other two for me. And I love all three. It departs a little bit, not in a worse way, not in a better way. I would just say in a way that, that makes us look at ourselves in a little bit of a different light. Because we look at the narrator as someone seeking validation. And obviously, he creates this character, Tyler Durden. But it's for the validation of, uh, it's for male validation, it's for, you know, masculinity. Whereas with Taxi Driver and American Psycho, yes, we can say there is there there are themes of validation, uh, masculinity. But with those two, I see it more as society as a whole has these guys, one at the bottom, one at the top, feel like they're, they're, they're purposeless, they're lost, they need to find their purpose. With Fight Club, the narrator needs purpose but he he goes about it and looks for it in a completely different light and i think that's why they're so interesting because yes these three characters are so alike but in a way there's this big big jump in fight club where we go from everything being internalized whereas the internal struggles are are almost separated from the internal and he creates this figure so it's just interesting that we got there there's a mere present in every single film but the mirror talks, and the mirror is Brad Pitt in Fight Club, and I love mm-hmm. that you can kind of draw that together with the three. Yeah, yeah, I love. Go ahead, Christian. I'm oh, sorry. I was going to say, no, no, you're fine. I was going to say, uh, when it comes to the casting choices, I think that's uh, my favorite part in regards to, <clears throat> excuse me, Fight Club, because you see this, you know, the stark difference of, you know, Edward Norton's character, the, the narrator. You know, it's he's very uh, to himself, but he's not only just to himself, but just how how would I explain it? He's just uh, kind of somewhat insecure, you can say. But then when you look at, you know, Brad Pitt and how he's playing Tyler Durden, he's the, you know, the playboy in a sense. He's mm-hmm. the, the one with charisma. Mm-hmm. So going back to what you were saying about reflection, it's like, dang, that's what I want to be. That is, you know, to an extent of that's how uh, he would like to see himself. So, yeah, that's when you said that that's what kind of linked it uh, with the casting choices in you know, my mind is that. I think it was spot on because they're both polar opposites, but the connection is, you know, obviously, you know, the mind. So, right. I think that it's interesting, too, that, like, each one of these characters, like, confidence shifts so differently. And how, like, you had brought up Durden as a necessary means of, like, seeing himself. And then with, um, with uh, Bateman, we are under the impression that he's doing all these things. He's not trying to create this alter ego for himself. Mm-hmm. He's just... He's acting as, as he sees fit, whereas like Bickle and um, Durden or the narrator, they make alter egos of themselves for validation that mm-hmm. enact the violence. Whereas like Bateman, he's not looking for, he's not seeking validation. Mm-hmm. I don't see that anyways. What did you guys think? No, uh, I personally don't think he is because I mean, he has all the money in the world. He's a part of the, you know, that yeah. top 1%. But for me, that's why I like that movie so much. Uh, and I've seen it multiple times. Yeah. Is that it's like, you kind of get into the mind of like, hopefully not a whole bunch of them, but like the elite. Like yeah. You kind of see, you know, what are their problems? What's their going crazy? Yeah. Or what, you know, what is their form of? Because you, when you talk about taxi driver, right? That's just somebody that's kind of at the bottom of society, you know, not just not homeless or anything, but just very average Joe walking through life. I would argue that Bateman is seeking validation on an equal level. He's just seeking it through a different way, right? Because when he mm-hmm. listens to these songs, he comes up with these very, you know, astute... They sound very intelligent, but they're they're illiterate. They're completely mm-hmm. wrong. Yeah. When he, care, he cares so much about the business cards, he cares so much about what these other men are doing, how, how he's going to be perceived, he has to you know, get, get, get the reservation at the restaurant. He has to be on an equal standing because 
it's like this never-ending competition for him of how I can just just be a little bit richer, be a little bit cooler. Because we see him when the film first opens is, oh, this guy must be on the top of the food chain. But then as the film goes on, we see a lot of their some of his contemporaries see him as an idiot. They kind of see him as a dork. They are yeah. they they might be a little bit richer. They might be you yeah. know have a little bit better of a car. They might be a little bit cooler. They might have a little bit of this and that. And we see it in it through a different lens, obviously, because he comes from a different world. But I feel like with his character, he's still looking for that validation. And actually, I would say this. This is, this is a different thought that I had that I really wanted to touch before I forgot it. Mm-hmm. So we're looking at Fight Club, right? I believe you could make the argument that the narrator perfects the process. He perfects the psyche because being able to split away as Tyler Durden not being consciously aware of a lot of what he's doing, had him build his entire enterprise. Had him build, I mean, which is obviously an awful terrorist organization, but sleeper cells all across the country. He had so many people following him because he was able to completely disconnect. When we look at a film like American Psycho or Taxi Driver, they don't completely separate. Obviously, you could argue it's some kind of alter ego, but it's them. I mean, they they know what they're doing. It's yeah. but it's kind of like a break from reality. Whereas with Fight Club, he creates a whole nother personality that he can disconnect from. He doesn't know what's happening, but while he's disconnected, while he is quote unquote Tyler Durden, he's being his his most effective self. Yeah. He's doing. He's acting effective. out effective <laughs> in a bad way, a very bad way. But in his eyes. It's effective. And obviously, you know, shooting himself in the cheek, Tyler Durden thought it was his head. That was a very interesting thing. I like that a lot. Yeah. Obviously, he's free of it, but, I mean, the damage has already been done. And when he's yeah. watching the buildings explode, he doesn't necessarily seem, you know, like, remorseful. It's almost like in that moment, he kind of comes to terms with, this is me. But what's what I think is missing from Fight Club, though, just to kind of, like, go off the rail for a second, yeah. is... Um, what is the motivation other than chaos? Like, we don't, there's a, there is a complete disconnect. And granted, like, that's kind of like fitting into the mind fuck of the film. But like, it just seems like he, when he's like back to his senses, so to speak, and Durden's not present, like, I'm still just kind of unsure of what the motivation is for the narrator. He seems to not want that. So there's a disconnect for me. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But I, and then you had also mentioned like, Christian, there's like this elitism with the American Psycho, like mm. kind of um, the the setting of it, and mm. there is a bit of a disconnect because, like, in a way, I kind of empathize with Travis Bickle because I'm like, he's a product of his environment. He's becoming jaded because he's working with people who just don't care, you know. Like mm. he's ha- he's seeing the bottom of the scum of the earth. Mm. American Psycho, like, what issues do you have that motivate you? to be like this and we had discussed this in 90s cinema we watched a film called Metropolitan and and how like um, it was basically like a summer of uh, Ivy League college students and I enjoyed the film but I I mentioned with Clerks have you seen Clerks Christian? it's like the guys that work in the gas station and um it's a little it's a little more worldly. Okay. I feel like you can connect with it better. And that's mm-hmm. I was drawing that parallel as we were mm-hmm. talking about it. How like with Bateman, I find no sympathy for him because I don't understand mm-hmm. the motivation to be violent. Even though yes, he does want to fit in, but it's not about fitting in to like go along. It's fitting in to be better. Mm-hmm. And I just don't understand that level of wanting to be accepted. Maybe that's just me. I don't know. And but like with the narrator, like I was saying at the beginning of talking with this is I'm just not understanding the point well I would say that in regards to even just real life itself as a man I think with the narrator in Fight Club Mm -hmm. it's more of like in it towards the ending when he kind of wasn't you know remorseful I looked at it as a wait I actually am an organized person like I said not in a good way but I am sophisticated I am this I am that Mm -hmm. and it's almost finding a realization of wait who am I? What, what validation do I, you know, need to seek? And I think, but in a sense of when it comes to, you know, the life of a man, that's what, you know, men go through that phase of trying to find where they fit at in, you know, the world. Mm-hmm. And for some people, they chase this validation. They chase, you know, whatever it may be just for them to realize, wait, I am that person that other people want to be. I am yeah. that person. Now, granted, not all this violence and everything going on, but I just think for the fight club, for the ending of that it was just more of a self-realization of like, wait, like, 
well, I didn't have to make up a character in my head. I didn't have yeah. to, you know, I didn't have to go through that whole, you know, thing of trying to, you know, code it and watch and make sure everybody else doesn't know what's going on in, in you know, uh, my life. But, yeah, that's how I kind of viewed it. So we definitely have discussed a lot on our previous podcasts is society being as a perpetrator of violence. Would you say that, like, because there's this expectation on man um, that that is what kind of pushes them to be violent, like, the, because of the expectation? I almost think it's the... It, there, there's obviously a lot of societal factors that, sure. that, that play a role. Um, I would say, you know, like, the, the traditional gender roles, um, traditional expectations, you know, the man kind of being the provider mm-hmm. and... Touch on this and your your last point, Cheyenne. I would say that with Fight Club, um, we look at the character of the narrator, and you might ask yourself, why does he have these motivations, right? Yeah. But what I think of is something Tyler Durden says in the film that you know I'm paraphrasing here, but the the the, the greatest um, of depression of our of, of, of that generation mm-hmm. is their lives, is themselves. Mm-hmm. There's nothing that they can really point the finger to as that's the reason for our, our like PTSD. That's the reason yeah. for our depression. You know, there was no no great war going on. There's no you know thing where no, there's no great depression. There's no like like Dr. Mock referenced in class. You know, the Clinton years were pretty chill in general. Mm-hmm. I mean, the most um, until 9/11. The, you, yeah, exactly until nine eleven. You think about what's the most um, what, 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 you think about every single presidency, right? Like of our like of our lifetimes, or even before our lifetimes. If you want to go back, whatever. Mm-hmm. Clinton's biggest story was the Monica Lewinsky scandal while he was president. Like, literally, that, that was the mm-hmm. biggest story. So you think about, there's not that much in the 90s. It's a pretty peaceful time worldwide in, in general. What the, the biggest war is within ourselves, right? And when there's not a big distraction like that, when there's not something where there's so many stories written about soldiers coming back, they have the PTSD, yeah. they, they, they end up going crazy. The, 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 the Great Depression has this horrible impact. During that time, we're kind of they were kind of on the cusp. They were kind of in the middle of you know the two thousands are coming up. The world's about to change. Yeah. You know Y two K. It's like yeah. the, these pressures, these the, these people feeling lost, these people feeling they don't have the purpose. I feel like that's kind of what the narrator embodies as a whole, and all these frustrations he has with the credit card companies, with society, with just America, with capitalism, with the corporate move to, to, to the move yeah. to corporate America, and that giant just involved capitalism keeps growing and growing and growing. I feel like Fight Club was the representation of that. Tyler Durden was the human representation, the mirror of how the narrator actually thought, how the narrator really, really, really felt. He couldn't be that, but that's why he created Tyler Durden. He created the 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 figurehead, the solution, so, the solution to yeah. so many people's frustrations yeah. at the time. That's Tyler Durden. He's a representation of people's frustrations and how they deep down feel. Yeah, mm, that's and, a good point. Yeah, and then going back to what you're saying, you know, and even uh, uh, Tyler Durden had said it, like, you know, the previous generation had World War II and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. it's almost as if I thought about something um, trying to fit a non-existent mold, non-existing yeah. mold. Because when you go back to, um, what, what was the uh, girl's name that he had met? I don't know why I can't remember it. Uh, in which film? In uh, Taxi Driver? No, no, no. Uh, dang, 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 dang. Fight Club. Uh, she started Marla. coming to Marla. Them. Yes. Because when you think about it like that, right, it's a non-existent mold that, you know, oh, I have to, when they're on the train and he looks at uh, the Calvin Klein underwear, you know, yeah. thing, advertising, mm-hmm. that's what, you know, men in America have to look like, that's what, yeah. you know, they have to portray. Yeah. But when you think about it, he's, you know, with that girl, the girl, when they're having sex and not having, she's not having sex with Tyler Durden, she's not looking or seeing yeah. with Tyler Durden, yeah. it's the narrator's character. So I just think about it trying to fit a non-existent mold and going back to the realization of wait like i am that person what is there that i have to you know have what is there that you know the validation that i'm trying to seek like is it really there almost and that's why i was just thinking about just trying to fit a non-existing um mold or you know fit into something that really isn't you know an idea yeah Yeah, an idea into an idea yeah for sure um what about like we've talked about just recently about the setting of uh, Fight Club being in the 90s. What about American Psycho being in the 80s? How does that kind of complicate, like, the? it's in, released in the 90s, or I think it's 2000. 2000, yeah. mm-hmm. So we're still in that mindfuck era. Like, why have it be set in the 80s then? Like, we've discussed, um, I think it was in a different class with Star Studies, how, like, the, the like Breakfast Club gang, like, they're making fun of, like, those yuppies. Um, 
was this just, I guess what I'm getting at is, was this targeted at an audience of, like, gen, which generations before millennials? Is it Z? No. No, 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 that's X. X. Thank mm-hmm. you. I'm bad with those. Like, is this just kind of like a satire of, like, making fun of their era? Mm, you could say that, but I think also it just adds more into uh, the ambiguity, I think, of the film. Because yeah. when you think of certain films, they're like timepieces. Yeah. And when you watch American Psycho and it being set in the 80s, yeah. now everybody's going to have, oh, yeah, we saw the video of him doing whatsoever you yeah. know, in the street having a shootout. Yeah. It still goes back to the ambiguity of, did this really happen? Because yeah. nothing else outside of his mind is logging this. You know, I mean, when the uh, cop had came and, you know, was interviewing him, that was kind of like the only outside presence yeah. that somewhat knew what was going on, yeah. you know? So, for, for me, I look at it as, A, when you're adapting literature, you have to kind of sit, you have to kind of keep to, you know, well, you don't have to, but generally speaking, you don't want to, you know, make hordes of fans mad by changing, you know, too much about it. So, I feel like staying true to, you know, the book, taking place in the 80s, all yeah. that, makes a lot of sense. And I also think, you know, the 80s with the boom of Wall Street and everything, it was the perfect era to put a character like Patrick Bateman because, yes, you could have theoretically done it, set it in the 90s, set it in present day, whenever. I think the book was written in 1991, if I'm not mistaken. So if it was written in 1991, it could have been in 91. But I think in, in the 80s when, like I said, the Wall Street boom was happening, it makes the most sense, in my opinion, to put a character like Patrick Bateman in that time because, yes... It is, you could argue it is a satire of that era in a sense, but it also, in my opinion, puts a, a realistic spin on, well, not, not that what he did was realistic, but it puts a realistic spin on the, on the struggles of something that's seen as like glorified, something yeah. that a lifestyle that's glorified in a sense. Like these guys that, like American Psycho to me is like Taxi Driver, but Travis Bickle is a trust fund baby. If you think about it, that's that's basically what it is. Like you have the, this this guy who has such a a loose grip on reality, and he's such a violent, evil psychopath. But he was he was given the silver spoon. He was given everything he had in his life. He never had to work for any of it. I mean, yeah. his father gave him everything he has. So in a sense, like someone in class had brought the theory that his father covered everything up. Yeah, I smart love theory. That. Yeah. Smart theory. I mean, I, I think it's a little far fetched, but smart theory. Um, <laughs> but looking at it through that lens of yeah, he's been given everything. He has these resources. If you're someone that disagrees with me and said yeah, he he killed all the people. Obviously, someone's covering him up. Obviously, he can't go and confess because he's so powerful. Yeah. To me, it just it, it encapsulates what that that people that are quote-unquote perfect, that are chasing perfection, they, they, there's still going to be something ex- extremely wrong. Like, you can't have the, the perfect figurehead. I think, I think what Patrick Bateman represented, in a sense, is what we see on the outside might be perfect. You know, he has a face mask and the workout regimens yeah. and everything. What he does on the outside, like, he was almost like he was training for Batman Begins. I mean, he was, yeah. you know... Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Was a yeah. And everything. Exactly, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So, it's almost like we can look at that figure and say, hey... He might look perfect. He might embody what what the American dream, um, or, or what we sell as the American dream, what would, yeah. what perfection would be. What would bring you happiness? But it's whole. It's very. It's very right. fucked up, and it's core. And it's core. Yeah. yeah. It, well, and I feel like yeah, it's, it is a way of saying like keeping up appearances. Um, mm-hmm. There's a lot more to the surface than we think, mm-hmm. uh, which got, definitely goes back to what I had said at the beginning of the podcast, and that was like what I like about each film, and that you take away like how you treat people and I guess like in a way like not that I'm saying I sympathize with Patrick Bateman but like look deeper than what is given to you for sure um I there's a lot we can do as well like I think I want to talk about narration now okay so what does the narration do for each character with like Travis Bickle, he's writing to his parents. It's very childlike. He's also, like, kind of accentuating, like, what is actually occurring. He's painting a picture bigger than what it is, better than what it is. With Bateman, I'm not sure how it operates because it's not as present as it is in Taxi Driver. Um, We get the opening montage of him. I think it's just a way to kind of set up the internal struggle. And then with... um, uh, Fight Club. 
it's also another way of kind of highlighting the struggle that is the narrator, but also like what he's enjoying about his newfound freedom. How does it operate for you well, guys? Well, I think I think one thing, at least this is how I read a good bit of American Psycho, is his narration is verbalized in a sense. Yeah. Like when he's in the bar and he's saying something, I, I can't I, I can't remember exactly what he said, but he said like, oh, you know, I'll I'll f and kill you or something like that to the bartender. Yeah, and I want to break your fucking neck. Yeah, or exactly. Yeah. So to me, I was like, he obviously didn't say that. It's like the murders and executions line later in the film. I don't think he actually said that. I'm in murders and executions. Yeah, I think that's what his. I think that's what in his mind he was yeah. saying. I think in American Psycho, we see kind of the wall break between what is narration and what is said. There's yeah. a lot more, it's, a lot, it's very ambiguous in the sense of, not only, because we can say like Taxi Driver, very ambiguous in what what's actually happening, but it's not in the narrative sense that American Psycho is, where we can think that a lot of what he is saying, a lot of what he's doing, is narration. When he's acting out, that could be his own like headcanon, because obviously we see him with a little sketchbook with all the murders. To me, yeah. That's why I make the argument. I don't think there was actually a murder in the film. I think it was all in his head because it just he 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 drew them all. He yeah. I mean, like he was coloring on the table. I mean, he's yeah. and it's cut literally from murder. Him coloring on the table to me. Yeah. I, I know what Mary Heron said. You know, I, he did. Yeah, I, I mean, obviously, you know, if you're the director of the film, I can't really argue with you. That's just my perception of it. That's what I feel like happened, and I'm looking at it, and I think there's so much in that film that kind of breaks the wall, as I said, between actual narration and between what, what what's really going on, whereas with the other two, the narration's pretty much on the nose. It is, yeah, and, it, and, it, and it's, I feel like, consistent. You know, yeah. the narration is pretty consistent. And then, like, towards the end of um, American Psycho, it's absent. Like, we're not, like, whenever he goes to the apartment where he killed, oh, God, Jared Leto. I don't remember his name. Paul Allen. Paul Allen. Um, we're not un- we're not understanding his psyche at that moment. Versus in Taxi Driver, um, it ends with that, and um, and then in uh, Fight Club as well. So we're we're getting the finality. So I'm with you. The ambiguity of the narration in um, American Psycho adds to that mind fuck yeah. that we have. But yeah, I don't. Christian, what are you thinking? Um, I'll just once again just gonna agree is that out of all of the films, and I love all of them. When it comes to American Psycho, that's just the one that really stays true to being, you know, ambiguous. Like, what the hell did I just watch? Yeah. And I remember that's what I said the very first time years ago when I saw it. But even when I rewatched it again, like, damn, what the heck is going on? Like, seriously. Like, it's, it's you know, a fine line between real actually happening and, you know, it just happened in his head. But that's what I would think uh, out of all of the films, American Psycho, the narration really does do a great job at, as keeping that film in that, you know, mind fuck, yeah. uh, you know, area and really having you sit there and process it yeah. versus, you know, a taxi driver in um, Fight Club is more about laying the grounds and laying the setting in which the character is about to walk into, so. Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, Bickle openly criticizes in his narration his community, mm-hmm. or lack thereof, I should say. But Bickle, he's he's just talking about himself, mm-hmm. which definitely adds to that like self obsessed image. Yeah. But with Bickle, he's just trying to figure it out. I know it's so t- like I feel like sympathy adds to our analysis of this podcast, mm-hmm. and I'm not gonna sit here and trash on Bickle. I can't, even though like because he has this like I guess childlike narration, and it adds to that for me. Whereas like with uh, Bateman, it is just constantly self obsessed. And then we somewhat feel like, I mean, for me anyways, a little bit of sympathy because of their narration in Fight Club, because like there is just like, you're so unsure of where this is occurring Um, in Mania. So like, and how it adds to that. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. And like, I think I I know for some reason it keeps getting like, like posited in my brain. Uh, with like mania being a perpetrator of violence and like adding to that like in Raging Bull I felt like we were missing a narration Mm. I felt like it would have added to it Um, Mm. like what we're understanding what do you got I mean I know it's like we've already talked about Raging Bull in the last podcast Mm. but I feel like it's kind of important to bring up in regards to narration what do you guys think Uh, it would have filled in the holes I see what you're saying like kind of like the gaps and well and we yeah. kind of touched on it with Raging Bull like 
how's the boxing career going? You know, yeah. he, he just came back from a fight that, you know, yeah. he had to lose on purpose. Like, what's, give me something to kind of feel attached a bit more yeah. to what's going on. And mm-hmm. I think that's what you like about Taxi Driver is yeah. just the immense feeling of wandering. Yeah. And, you know, loneliness. And uncertainty. You know? and, and, yeah, yeah. And, and, and that's why going back, you know, and it's just something on my personal side, you know, I know what that's felt like. Just the wandering sure. through life and just like what's you know what's going on so and I think that's where my appreciation for the movie uh, uh, just came from watching the second time because it's like wow the writing really sets you in like you like you like the most is the loneliness and the wandering yeah you know then which goes to you know Brendan you like American Psycho because of the it's oh shoot like it's in your face you yeah. know it's he's going all over the place you yeah. know trying to find you know an answer. But, um, yeah, no, that's what I would say when it comes to Raging Bull. It would have helped. I think it would have grabbed me in a bit more with the new, if they had some form of narration to really, you know, tr- feel like I'm going through the life with him, which I yeah. kind of did feel that. But it just, at some points, it's like, you know, especially with me being an athlete, what's going on with you, the career with that you head. so-called love so much, yeah. what's going on up there? Like, it's just, you're just, you know, going through the story and then, yeah, that's it. Yeah, so. yeah. See, for me, okay, I'm just gonna preface it by saying I actually like Raging Bull more than Taxi Driver. I feel like if oh, you're yeah. if you're if you're talking about Scorsese and you're talking about De Niro, I would personally have Raging Bull ranked above Taxi Driver. And I know a lot of people would think that's blasphemous, but in my opinion, no, I agree with you. In my opinion, it's a more it, they're both very different films. But I think I think one thing beautiful about Raging Bull is that the lack of score and the lack of narration in a way put you in this very intimate space with the character where the character's point is paranoia, right? We can say what the other three characters were discussing today, paranoia plays a small factor, but his whole deal is paranoia. That's what ruins his career. Yeah. It's not that he's he's a violent person in the same way these three people are, in the same way that he's okay with mur- mass murder and he's okay with... Yeah you know, shooting people and just doing these terrible things, yeah, he's an abusive, bad person, but he's paranoid. His 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 violence is self punishment in a yeah. sense. Whereas yeah. with these other films, self punishment's really not the point. The point is perpetrating the violence as 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 a get back as a, as as because society's put this on them. Yeah. For taxi driver, he's basically wanting to go out there and be the vigilante. He's wanting to go out there and exact his vengeance. With American Psycho, he's a vigilante in a sense that he wants a cleaner city, but he does it for fulfillment. He does yeah. it because he feels like this is it's all he really has to do. He's already it's almost like I've always had a theory with like a lot of celebrities and a lot of ultra rich people is boredom is the most boring thing, right? Because once you have everything, mm-hmm. why do you think so many people with so much money are so unhappy? Because once you have everything, you look for fulfillment. The only way Patrick Bateman can find fulfillment is killing these people. That's just his, or at least imagining it, at least fantasizing yeah. it. Because that's why I think it's all fantasy, because he's fantasizing about breaking out of the plastic life. Yeah. But he can't, because he is the plastic life. We see him yeah. literally take the, the, the wrap off his face. To me, that's being caught in the plastic life, and he can't separate himself from that fantasy, you know, he can't separate himself from that that fantasy land, that fake world that he lives in. Yeah. Fight Club, we got a guy kind of in the middle, right? Because in a way, yeah, he had, he has a good job, he travels, he does all this, he does all that, but he's still unfulfilled. He's so happy, he's still unhappy, and it's a generational thing. He feels yeah. like his generation of men is kind of marginalized, kind of they, they they're unhappy. They don't really have much sense of purpose, so he creates guy in his head that is the like, like I said earlier the perfect um, the, 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 the perfect representation of the man that he wants to be and the man that he thinks every man at their core should be yeah in a sense I agree with that it's hard to disagree with that that's sort of some amazing points I don't know I just um, I definitely think motivation with um, how you perpetrate violence definitely matters you're arguing that with Jake LaMotta, it was about paranoia. And with these guys, there was like a vigilante angle. And there's like this like need of self-fulfillment. So definitely paranoia adds to the, the, the need for violence in Raging Bull. So since we're kind of going full circle, going NASCAR, like left turn, left turn, left know, turn, right? bringing everything together, we yeah. got to gotta bring up Clockwork Orange, obviously. Because Absolutely. Alex, you could argue... 
isn't too far off of these three characters we're talking about today. He's not. I, I mean, kept making connections as I was taking notes for the podcast. So yeah. what what do we think about Alex's um, perpetration of violence, his role in the violence, his uh, obviously how he ends up yeah. versus obviously the three characters we're talking about today? Uh, I would say he's on the end of how we talked about Patrick maybe the elite. Uh, we talked about uh, uh, the narrator, um, the fight club being like the middle of the pack. I think from Clockwork Orange, he's he's like the child that is like, as in what what is it to be you know a man or what is it to be you know an adult? Let yeah. me go out here and try to find out my own path. In yeah. a way. that's how I look at a Clockwork Orange is that he's at the youngest stage of going into all these other different pathways of madness, and mm. it's like, yeah. huh? Let let me let me get a little taste of this, but. He gets that taste and it's like, no, 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 I'm a child, I don't like this, I don't like this. Yeah. And it's too late, you know, you already set the bed, you know, that you made. So that's how I look at a Clockwork Orange almost being like the the starting point of which form, you know, of madness or, you know, you know, delirium that he could go into. I think that you bring up age and that's incredibly important, right? Because with Alex, I'm not saying we sympathize or, or make excuses for him whatsoever, but um, I feel like there is this, um, he can't help it. There's like this like double consciousness. He sees himself as society views him. And like in that society, he is just simply a product. He's another perpetrator because no one else questions him. No one else is trying to support him. And bringing up age is a huge factor in that. It's almost like he doesn't know any better. Like an yeah, pretty much. But I mean, I'm not sitting there saying that like, oh, poor Alex. Like, that's not what I'm saying. But um, <laughs> their age plays a huge factor. And I love that you brought that up. Because like with Taxi Driver, I'm not sure. How old did he say he was in the film? Like 25? But like he's a vet. Like, oh, he was honorably discharged. So he's got that like jaded edge to him. American Psycho, he's 27. And then in Fight Club, he's working at 9 to 5. Like... How does age change for the violence? And, and to add on to that, it's almost yeah. like, um, and I remember when uh, Spider-Man No Way Home came on, there was a whole argument once again, who's best Spider-Man? But when you look at each one of them, yeah. they're the uh, a good part of the character, but at certain points in time. Now, when you, and that's how I connected to this, is that when you look at all of these characters from those four movies, they're almost at different stages of life in a sense, like I said yeah. earlier, with the elite, with, you know, the middle of the pack, and then to just the common man in society. Like, yeah. they're all different pieces of what madness and violence can turn into, in, you know, that kind of society of life, that society. That's how I look at it. Yeah. And, you know, to put my own little spin on what you said, Christian, it's almost like the debate of, well, who's the best Batman? Well, it depends on what, 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 what point in their career yeah. you're looking at. I mean, obviously, when you've got someone like Robert Pattinson, he's damn near perfect Batman for a year or two guy that doesn't really know what the hell he's doing and then you got someone like Ben Affleck who in my opinion was actually really good at playing the character you know the, the, the films were, were obviously not there but for what he was able to do with it it's perfect being older but what I wanted to bring up is this right so if we look at Alex it takes place Clockwork Orange takes place in a dystopian future so in a way, it's not a mind fuck. It's more like, yeah, he, he has to try to commit suicide at the end, ends up with a body cast, but he's free. He's not, you know, mind he's not under the um the mind control anymore. He's not, you know, he now he's being taken advantage of from both sides of the political spectrum. Phenomenal film. Love, love all the themes and the context and everything. But we have to remember this is taking place in what Kubrick visioned the world being after films like Taxi Driver, American Psycho, and Fight Club. Yeah. A Clockwork Orange's future, in a sense, is the 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 aftermath of a film like Fight Club, kind of. It's the aftermath of, of, of the Patrick Batemans. It's the aftermath of the Tyler Durdens. It's the yeah. aftermath of the Travis Bickles. It's the aftermath of that male violence, of that ruthlessness, of that lawlessness mm-hmm. being pushed, that can be kicked down the road until that's the norm. Because we think about the world of A Clockwork Orange, everyone is is involved in the violence in some way. It's a lawless, terrible type of society. And 
it it um, it makes so much sense that we watch that film first. It does because it always comes back. Because we always go back to it. Yeah. We see well. That's why, and that's why. I mean, you could you can have arguments about who's the greatest director of all time for days, but I mean, it's, it's Kubrick. Really, it has to be Kubrick. You can't argue <laughs> against Kubrick. You really can because he was making things like a Space Odyssey in '68. That's just crazy. To I me. know. Isn't that that's crazy, crazy to me. And then obviously, when you look at something like A Clockwork Orange, he's the societal themes in it, we can look at it all these years later and be like, oh, oh my God, that, that that's today. That's what we're kind of heading towards. Yeah. It's genius. We but talked about that in the first podcast, how Copper Orange is somewhat of a cautionary tale. But to kind of to answer my, my own question why I brought it up, Alex is these three characters in the future in a society where those feelings aren't oppressed in a sense. Because we think about it each of these characters has oppressed feelings towards society. Travis yeah. Bickle has this inner hatred of what he thinks is the scum, the dirt, yeah. the drug dealers, yeah. the, the prostitutes, all that. American Psycho, we have a guy at the very top that has these oppressed feelings of, oh, I want to be a killer, I want to be a savage, I want to yeah. be, you know, get back to my animalistic nature, my yeah. sense. But in the world he lives in, he can't do that. Yeah. He's surrounded he, by yuppies. Exactly. And he wants sure. to, he tries to hold himself accountable again. He can't do that. Yeah. At Fight Club, we have a guy pretty much in the middle, you know, has a pretty good job, pretty everything. He ends up blowing up his own apartment and trying to separate himself from his own reality, creating the vision of the perfect man, because in that society, everyone's lost. You have to do that. You have to separate. You have to create. He couldn't make himself into Tyler Durden without, obviously, becoming Tyler Durden in his sleep. This yeah. insomnia insane. But when we, with The Clockwork Orange, we see at the very, that's the end game. That is when we get to the end of all the, the, the train of all this violence being perpetrated for years and years and years in society getting more and more and more violent, all of a sudden, those feelings don't have to be hidden. Those feelings don't have to be oppressed. We don't have to have the, the, the Arthur Fleck and Joker where society had me snap. No, you can, be, you can snap at a very young age and you can just live your life in that mode. And everyone else is like that because society has finally accepted it. So that's why I think that's a beautiful way to connect all, all five films that we just mentioned. Yeah, very well said as always, Brendan. Like, Thank you. Chef's kiss, so great. Um, I did want to talk about the hip to be square scene. I'm, I know yes. we haven't talked about it yet. And I just want to, I have no ideas as to, because, okay, calm down, Cheyenne. There's a lot of thoughts. Okay. <laughs> Patrick Bateman enacts violence in various ways. The first one is with a homeless man. Um, he's just real brunt with the way he um, kills him. And then the dog, so sad, literally hated it. And then we see him with a chainsaw. Like, it's almost like Heron's like, we're going to give you every, like, possible outcome of killing a person right here. Other than, like, torture. Um, why is he so cheery when he's killing Paula? Is it just like is it just simply like motivated on killing my competition? I think personally it's because that's when he feels free. That's when he feels I'm getting one up on him, you know. He you see how he feels about say like the business cards. We see yeah. how he feels about being being marginalized in a sense where he feels like he's getting lost in the sea of sharks. I feel like that's him taking back a little bit of his manhood living through his aggression, his animalistic nature, and just being himself and being able to get rid of something he sees as a threat. And to add on to that, I think, once again, that's where the narration comes in is so well is because when you look at Paul Allen's life, it's literally even Patrick Bateman is saying he has a better apartment. It's, you know, over the view of Central Park. Yeah. You know, he, you know his business card. This, he's literally laying out everything that Paul Allen is just outright, you know, better than him yeah and the only other way that he can get the one up is by catching him off guard and killing him so it's like once again the relief of ah yeah you can't get me with that because nobody else would have thought to even you know enact that violence on somebody else just him and that's the you know the fantasy that he has i'm so like i i hate to say it because like (laughs) i can't help but laugh whenever the first thing he says to him is Try getting a, a reservation at Dorsey and I'm oh. fucking stupid bastard. And I'm like, oh man, I'm like, I don't know. I just like, that I can't. Speaks. It was just like, dude. When he's <laughs> shimmying his hips to hip to be square, I'm like dying laughing. Even though I know like crazy shit is about to happen. Um, 
I don't know, we've talked about tonal inconsistencies a lot in the course to kind of make room for violence. And he just, I just, I hate, I don't hate it, excuse me. I love how, like, there's, he's both sides of the coin of violence. Like, he's doing it in a humorous way. He's being real brunt about it. He enacts sexual violence. Like, he is America's nightmare. That should really be the title of it, America's Nightmare. America's like, Nightmare, yeah. Yeah, like, it's just, I don't know. But then, like, I guess to kind of tie into another thing that I wanted to talk about was, like, the first uh scene we have of him killing someone as a homeless man same thing in a clockwork orange keeps getting brought up but like and and kubert changed that because in the book the droogs and alex kill a librarian so why change it to Mm. a homeless man like why i have no answers i'm just like why a homeless man be the first victim of violence i think it makes sense in both cases i think when we look at a homeless person, it's almost like, and, and I, I mean this in the most sincere way possible, we liken a homeless person to like, a well, so you would say that when, when some people see a homeless person, they would get kind of like uncomfortable in a sense, like in, 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 in person. It's almost yeah. like... You see people, you know, like like in, in in any walk of life, you know. Say they saw like 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 a stray dog on 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 the side of the road, right? Say they saw a homeless person of that nature. You know, that may be a little uncomfortable, but there's something within us that feels like 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 sorry for them, guilty yeah. a little bit. There's yeah. something that kind of tugs at our heartstrings a little bit, yeah. right? So the homeless person in film is almost like the dog or the child in that we look at them and we feel sorry for them. We yeah. feel just kind of like like automatically, you know, like we feel like, oh man, like society's done them wrong. Like I really want to like buy them a meal yes. and five bucks, something like that. Like they, there's something in us as humans that we just automatically have empathy for them. And I think the best way to strip a character's empathy is have them kill a homeless person or kill yeah. an animal or yeah. kill a kid or something like that, right? So when we look at a character like Alex, we look at a character like Patrick Bateman, how do we describe, because what, what's the one thing that they, they both have in common? No empathy. They're psychopaths. They have no yeah. way of feeling emotion. They have yeah. no way of feeling true like happiness, pain, whatever. They're, they're psychopaths. They can't feel it. Best way to establish that, they kill a homeless person. Yeah. Truly. It's just like killing an animal. It's... It's something that people watching that think, oh my God, there's no empathy there. They even feel sorry for that person. They want to help that person. So there's two sides of the coin there. What you're saying is we're understanding what society is looking at, and that is it's failed its people. They're homeless people. Because you can't tell me that you would be able to look at, let's take, let's take three films here, right? Let's okay. take Taxi Driver, let's take Joker, and let's take Fight Club, right? Okay. So we cannot see... Um, Travis Bickle, we cannot see Arthur Fleck, we cannot see the narrator, as Tyler or whatever. We cannot see any of those three guys just walking up and killing a homeless person. Because it goes against their character. Yeah. Their character, in a sense, is... Well, I mean, Travis Bickle, you can argue that the quote-unquote scum, but he's worried about the prostitutes, the drug dealers. He's yeah. not worried about people that are, you know, affected by, the, by, by you know, the, the nightlife or wasted quote-unquote scum. Yeah. You can't see those people just going willy-nilly, okay, you're dead. Other two... They have this sense of, of, of classism. They have this sense of, I'm better than you. I have no empathy. I have no morals. You're, you're trash to me. You're garbage. So I think that's why we can look at those two characters and say, that's why they killed homeless people. But in the other, the other films that are adjacent to these, in my opinion, other two that we're obviously discussing in this, in this podcast, you can't have that. And, and that's why I would add on uh, with the Bob scene, with the narrator, when Bob, he came back in his head, he's blown open. Yo, what did y'all do to Bob? Yeah. What the heck happened? Like, you see that, you know, the, the sympathy of, wait a second, like, maybe he, re- this is really another piece of him that's, you know, uh, trying to do all of this other stuff. Maybe he actually doesn't want to, you know, come off as crazy or come off as this insane leader. But just off of that reaction alone in, the, in uh, that scene, I thought about that and just thinking about, you know, he didn't want to, he, he's very different from when you look at Patrick Bateman and, um, what was the other person that you just said? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, when you look at the difference, it's just that with, you know, the narrator's character, it, he has some form of sanity there somewhat still, somewhat in. He's wild. not as ruthless. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's exactly. not motivated by, yeah. by, like murderous mania yeah because yeah, yeah. even though he didn't you know bob wasn't his best friend 
like I said, when they brought his body back, oh man, yeah. what the heck is going on? Yeah, so. he wasn't okay with it. And Dur- yeah. I mean, his even his alter ego, Durden's not in it for blood. He's in it for equality. It mm-hmm. seems like he's just even though chaos, like bringing anarchy and chaos, it is unfortunately in an equal society. It's not about bloodshed. Whereas with Bateman, it is, and in Fight Club, or excuse me, Taxi Driver, it is as well. But it's also like that vigilante. Like I'm asking for blood for the betterment of society. Yeah. So here, here's how I really want to to close yeah. this, this final episode. Yeah. First part, Cheyenne, you, you mentioned this before before we got on air. Uh-huh. Um, each of us saying why we feel like these films are important and what we feel like the purpose is. And then number two, um, this is something I did for previous mock podcasts. Um, listing our top five movies from this entire semester in order five through one um just just recapping obviously an incredible semester but yeah let's kick it off kick off the end very sadly by um just saying why we feel like these three films are important in the um in the canon of this entire class and why this class in general and everything we've learned is is important to like the the overall overarching you know history of cinema Ooh. Christian, do you want to go first? I yeah. mean, go ahead. Oh, yeah, yeah, I will say, I mean, and I said a bit earlier, I, I really feel like these films give an insight on the different areas of life in which, you know, violence is just how it takes a toll on somebody. But not only that, but just different parts of a person's life or a different part of people, you know, who are in America and what that violence can look like, you know, for them. And like we touched on it earlier with Patrick Bateman, the elite. You know, he has everything. I need to find something. And you go, you know, to um, a taxi driver. Once again, he's just average Joe at the bottom, you know. Well, what, you know, what, what, what's going on? Why do I feel like, Lord, why do I feel like I'm lost? Then you go into um, Fight Club, and it's, once again, the middle of the pack. You know, is there something? I don't have anything, but let's find an issue, yeah. you know, that I can, uh, you know, ponder on. So that's what how, how I look at these films is, is that... It's uh, telling, you know, the same story, but through different avenues of a person, because not everybody is the same. So, yeah. that, that's how I kind of connect it. I love that. And I think, to, for just, like, organizational purposes, I think we should all answer Brennan's first question, and that is, what do these three films contribute to cinematic violence? And then I definitely want to think, wrapping up with, like, our favorite films of this semester. Sad. Um... I don't, I think that what I like about these films is, you know, we've, we make an alibi for violence when it comes to vigilantes. Um, we don't question it. And I think that um, with Fight Club and Taxi Driver, it, it muddies the waters of what is a vigilante. We discuss that with Death Wish. Um, and then American Psycho, its contribution to violence being just like the mindfuck of violence is, because it is the ultimate, in my opinion, of the three of like the ambiguity. Um, and I just think, I don't know, it brings like girl power because we have the girl directors and like how they, uh, show us male violence in a different way. Um, arguably one of the worst ways we see violence is at the hands of female directors. Kind of crazy to think about. Um, yeah, that, that's where my, I think with American Psycho, we have the female, um, not representation, but female director and voice. And then with Taxi Driver and Fight Club, it muddies the waters of what is a vigilante with a violent cinema. Yeah, I would just say, you know, these three are so important because it forces us to look at society as a whole. It forces us to look at ourselves. Like I said, the mere self, such an interesting concept when applied to these three films. Um, The course as a whole, obviously, um, gaining a deeper meaning of cinematic violence is so important, especially, you know... Us all living in America, what 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 America has been, um, it, it's you know born in violence. It's yeah. it's it's culture is violence, and yeah. cinema being you know one one of my you know favorite hobbies slash passions. Yeah. Um, learning more about what makes cinema as a whole, American and worldwide cinema, so so impactful through the violent scale and how violence can be used in impactful ways and in, in, in concise ways and 
in ways that don't glorify, that just, you know, show us what the dangers of violence and how we as a society can do better. Yeah. And I think, especially with these three films, we can see how, what can we do with mental health? What can we do to Good point. make 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 sure that there are, isn't a real-life Travis Bickler, there isn't a real-life Patrick Bateman, you know? Yeah. And for people out there that, that identify with these characters in the wrong way, we can, we can kind of see who... <laughs> Who doesn't? Who doesn't understand? Or who's not going to? You know, get the point because there are going to be people that, you know, get the wrong idea with these movies. There are going to be people like the guy I forget his name, but the guy who you know obviously shot Reagan and watched Taxi Driver like nineteen times. There's gonna be people like that out there, right? Yeah. yeah. There's gonna be people out there like that. But at the end of the day, the art is the art. It's important. It's impactful. If you understand it. It's, it's beautiful, and I think everything that we've learned, really these three films sum up perfectly what this class, you know, what the purpose of this was, what learning yeah. cinematic violence was all about. Yeah. So impactful. Love them all. Incredible semester. Absolutely. I had a question, but I'm like, ooh, um, I'm pretty sure we're bre- breaching time because I don't that. So it, it's going to start another... Uh, let's let's go out it quick. Let's go out it quick. It's yeah. the last one. We can get yeah. into it. We can get into it. Uh... I, I guess what I was going to ask is, like, you had mentioned glorifying violence, mm-hmm. and you were like, some people will take the wrong message from these films. I would argue some of these films do glorify violence in a way. They make it, they allow for it. So, like, in Zero Dark Thirty, they're um, giving you the okay for torture in the, in the name of America, and Saving Private Ryan killing innocent, uh, not innocent, excuse me, not always, because it's, um, and then in Inglorious Bastards killing Nazis, like, I would argue some of the films do glorify violence. They, they allow for it, and some of them are cautionary, like Menace to Society, we had, um, copycats, and they were taking the wrong message, this was showing you the dark side of what, like, gang life is like, but then you have a Clockwork Orange that, does not beg for sympathy other than for Alex himself and at the end shows you like it's satire and that it's like oh I was cured all right and he's having sex with a woman at the end and it's not like intimate sex like I would say that it does for some films do glorify violence and cinematic violence yeah and I think that's one of the best things about you know this course is we all take different things away from it yeah we can all watch these different films and say this this resonates with me on this level that level whatever and I think I think that's what's so cool about the concept of a course on cinematic violence is we we all we all process it differently. We all view it differently. We have different tolerances for yeah. it, things of that nature. Yeah. I mean, I can't think of, of another course that you would watch. You know, Jackass, <laughs> and then you know, watch like Raging Bull and Taxi Driver, all in the same all in the same context, and it makes sense and yeah. it'd be cool and it'd be something that we'll we'll never forget. And yeah. you know, as we're wrapping up, we have to do our top fives. Yes. So Christian, you're gonna go first. Okay. Five through one, top five films this semester. Okay, this is no particular order though. No particular These order. Are, yeah, yeah. I don't that's hard. That. I'm very. That's very hard for me. Yeah. Okay. okay. I would say uh, American Psycho. I've seen that a whole bunch of times. And Glorious Bastards, which was a really good watch because I hadn't seen it, so I was looking forward to that. Um, Fight Club. Once again, I read the book and watched the film. Um, once upon a time in Hollywood, another favorite because I love Tarantino. So in general, yeah, um, probably my favorite director. Of oh all yeah. Time. Oh, yeah. And then the last one, it was tough. Um, I had Death Wish at first, but I think it goes to Raging Bull. Yeah. That that, that was for me. I really liked it because you got to kind of see you know the inside of the mind on somebody you know who is pushing people away from him and not actually solving the root of his issue. So I like it. Yeah, I love it. That was yeah. my top five. You go. Okay, okay. So mine is going to be in order, right? Okay. I, I love putting things in order, right? I'm actually going to start from number one. Um, Inglorious Bastards, to me, one of my favorite movies of all time in my top ten. Um, just a masterpiece. Obviously, Tarantino, my favorite director. I feel like he encapsulates, and I'm doing my paper on it. I love Glorious Bastards. It encapsulates so much emotion, so much raw, just, yeah. just, just tension. It's perfect, right? Yeah. Number two, A Clockwork Orange. I think it's probably my favorite Kubrick. I don't know. It's so hard between 2001, The Shining, and um, Clockwork Orange, but okay. it, it's up there. It's, it's incredible. That'd be my number two. Number three, I think I would go Raging Bull. 
I love Raging Bull. I think yeah. it's a beautiful film. I think it's one of Scorsese's finest, and I love Robert Nero in that role. It's one of my, yeah. it's probably my second favorite De Niro role of all time. Like I, I, I love De Niro in that film. Fourth, if we haven't seen it yet, technically, um, <laughs> you haven't seen it yet, Cheyenne. I haven't seen it, yeah. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I so badly want to put this second. I had to knock it to fourth when I just thought about the other two films I put up front of it. Yeah. But it, it's a masterpiece. It's yeah. incredible. It's, it's, it's chill. It's vibey. It's yeah. fun. The ending is effing wild. That's yeah. why it's a cinematic violence course. That's why it's in this. It's incredible. I'm Shannon excited. Dread for a wild ride. Yeah. It's incredible. Fifth. Now, if you if you've noticed, I haven't put any of the three that we talked about today. Ooh. And I the one that makes the cut for me surprisingly. I'm, I'm changing. It's Fight Club. I'm changing it up. <laughs> I almost went American Psycho, but it's Fight Club. I have to put Fight Club over these two. I was so close to making an American Psycho. So close, I but know. I just thought about. Which one of these would I rather rewatch today? Which one of these made me think the most? In, in the sense of not only not the character, but society? It was Fight Club. So I had to go with Fight Club fifth. Now, if I had to go sixth, it'd be American Psycho, and then Taxi Driver, and then probably Bonnie and Clyde, and then I'd probably list off a heck of a lot more. But yeah. I had to put Fight Club fifth. I did. I don't know. I, I don't even know if I believe it right now, but I had to put Fight Club fifth. Yeah, you're going to like leave here and you're going to be like, I've changed my mind. Yeah, exactly. No, I think, honestly, it was hard for me to pick because there was only one film I did not like, and that was The Act of Killing, and that was just because mm-hmm. I was so viscerally uncomfortable watching yeah. it. Everything else I enjoyed, I took a lot from it, but obviously, I never shut up about A Clockwork Orange, and so that one's my number one. Number two is probably Inglorious Bastards. I spent an intimate amount of time with it because I, um, Dr. Mock let me teach it. I was so grateful that she did. And um, she set it up for me really well. So um, I spent a lot of, I had to rewatch it, obviously, to prepare for lecture. And I had to do a lot of research to prepare for lecture. So I'm very intimate with Inglorious Bastards. And you have to admit, it's just a fun film to watch. Yeah. And yes. The, yes. that, like, um, that fantasy angle we've talked about and that, um, it's, it gives you a different outcome. I, I love it. Um, I don't know. American Psycho for me is a third. I've always loved this movie. Taxi Driver's probably fourth. I had never seen it. I absolutely loved it. Um, and then Raging Bull. Raging Bull was um, at the bottom for me, but like, I don't know. An honorable mention is Death Wish, and I would say Raging Death Bull. Death Wish is a good honorable mention. Yeah. That's yeah. a good honorable mention. That's, 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 that's right here. In, in yeah. Raging Bull and Death Wish, I would argue for the fifth, or just like a tie, because I just loved them both so much. But, and then Bonnie and Clyde would probably be like seventh. I just, I mean, yeah. I have, There's so I, much. I have an honorable mention that's not in my top ten, but it was still fun Foxy Brown. It was fun. It was it fun. Was fun. It was fun. It, the one that I look back fondly on, it was that one. Just watching it, I thought it was funny. I laughed more at that one than I... I actually laughed more at that one than I did at Jackass. Just because I thought it was... Like, there was so much in it that was just so incredible. Like, the like the, like the the fight in the gay bar was, like, the funniest scene. Oh, my like, God. One of the funniest scenes in this entire semester. I was just... It's just incredible. Like, like I just I just loved it so much, so I had to give it an honorable mention. But I'm glad you did. We've been going for a very long time, so this concludes... The final, final episode of Violence and the Three Droops. It's been an incredible ride. Shout out to Cheyenne and Christian for being the best co-hosts imaginable. Such a fun run of podcasts. Hate that it's coming to an end now, but I might be cooking something up, so you never know. <laughs> and you never know. I mean, Christian, I might cook up something. Cheyenne might yep. come back. You Let's never know it. with us. You know, yeah. this, this is a good group, so Let's we never it. know what's going to be in the future. But thank you so much, Dr. Mock. We're out of here. <laughs>